Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to our Protect Our Province COVID-19 briefing for Alberta on Monday, August 30th, 2021. We are live streaming from the traditional and ancestral territory of many peoples presently subject to Treaty 6, 7, and 8, and the Métis people of Alberta. We acknowledge the many First Nations, Métis, and Inuit who have lived in and cared for these lands for generations. We are grateful for the traditional knowledge keepers and elders who are still with us today and those who have gone before us. Today's briefing has captioning enabled on YouTube for increased accessibility. We acknowledge that this is far from perfect. As these briefings continue, we are hoping to include ASL interpretation as soon as we can arrange it. The Protect Our Province COVID briefing is a regular panel of doctors and experts. We will endeavor to bring timely, accurate updates on the COVID crisis in Alberta and take questions from the media. With us today, we have some of the experts who will be joining us in upcoming briefings. The views of our panelists are their own and they do not represent any institutions they may be affiliated with. We have collectively gathered here as concerned Albertans, attempting to ensure that everyone in the province has access to as much information concerning COVID-19 in Alberta as possible. We will begin with Dr. Vi Pond, who will facilitate a roundtable of introductions, followed by a live version of his daily COVID-19 analysis for Alberta. Once that is complete, we will open the floor for questions from the media. Awesome. It's really exciting to be here, guys. And uh, I think we're we're trying to, to do something new here. Um, we're trying to give Albertans some of the information that they need in order to make safe decisions and hopefully maybe even give some of the leaders the information they need to make safe decisions. So, um, Michelle, I'm not sure I can see who is in our group. So, okay, that helps. So let's just go in order the people I'm seeing across the, 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 uh, the screen here. We'll start with uh, Dr. Worcester. Hi there, uh, my name is Chuck Worcester. I'm an emergency physician in Edmonton and I've been quite passionate in the last few months making sure that our healthcare system, our healthcare workers and our province is protected as possible from the fourth wave and quite concerned that the fourth wave is gonna affect us a lot more than any of the third waves. Did. We'll go to Kate Bisbee. Uh, hi everyone, I'm Kate Bisbee. I'm a family doc in Calgary. I've spent most of my career working with marginalized Calgarians. Uh, I think this uh, endeavor is important to support because I know the fourth wave will hit our most vulnerable Albertans the hardest. Um, and in particular, why we have to res uh, resort to this press conference, um, the vacuum of leadership and knowledge we've had growing over the last three to four weeks is deeply concerning to me and unacceptable. Moving to Albert Knobs. Yeah, my name is Albert Knobs. I'm uh, the president and founder of the Alberta Activist Collective. I am here to facilitate interests on behalf of a few different groups around Alberta and to advocate for good faith policy on behalf of our healthcare workers in the rest of the province. Dr. Nija Bakshi. 
Hi everyone, I'm Dr. Nita Bakshi. I'm an internal medicine physician in Edmonton, uh, also working heavily on the COVID unit for the last 18 months. Quite passionate about this platform and the advocacy to not only help protect our Albertans and, and patients that are coming to our healthcare system, but as well as the mental health of our healthcare workers, which is uh, quite um, faltering at this moment. We are seeing a big physical and emotional capacity issue with healthcare workers, and uh, I'm really proud of this effort. Dr. Mukram Zaidi. Hi, I'm a family physician in, in Calgary, and I, I'm working uh, with this group because it's really important to get the right message to a common person to understand that COVID is not over, and we still need to have the same measures that we had in the first, second, and third week. Thank you. Dr. Wing Lee. Hi, Dr. Wing Lee, PhD neuroscience. I'm also here on behalf of Support Our Students Alberta, which is a province-wide public education advocacy citizen actions group. We are concerned as we are entering the third year that Alberta students will be impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. We are advocating for safe education for every child in Alberta. Considering children under 12 are not yet vaccinated and we are starting school this week, we are here because we want to monitor and call on the government to continue monitoring uh, the impact on schools. Thank you. Connor Rizicki. Hi, uh, my name is Connor Rizicki. I am an aerosol scientist and PhD candidate. Uh, and for uh, my background is in mechanical engineering. Um, for about the last year and a half, I've been very involved in a number of different projects looking at airborne transmission of COVID-19. Uh, I'm happy to be involved here in terms of being able to give and provide some information on how to best uh, reduce your exposure to COVID-19 in different scenarios. And I don't have a name for the last person who, who I see there. Uh, is that uh, Ilan? Yeah, uh, hey, Joe. Um, Dr. Ilan Schwartz. Sorry, man. Yeah, no, no problem. Yeah, Elon uh, Schwartz. I'm a, a MD, PhD, and I'm an infectious disease consultant and assistant professor in the Division of Infectious Diseases at the University of Alberta. So passionate about um, obviously uh, patient care, preventing patients from uh, becoming sick and uh, fighting misinformation. So happy to be on this platform. All right. Well, let's move. Oh, we've we've got Sandra Azokar here too. Let's make sure we acknowledge her. Hi. Thank you. I'm Sandra Azokar, the Executive Director, of Friends of Medicare. We're here because we believe um, strongly on a on a healthcare system that's well supported, well staffed, and and well resourced. And um, this pandemic has definitely shone a light on on the importance of all that. We also believe that. Um, patient care, working conditions are, are care conditions and, and what we're seeing is not a direction that we want to see our, our healthcare system go. So um, that's what we're here today to support the initiative uh, of all these doctors. Thank you. So today's going to be kind of an, a different day than some of the ones in the future and that we're basically trying to introduce ourselves to, uh, to the Alberta landscape. So maybe I'll go a little bit over maybe my background because I really haven't introduced myself yet. Um, and then the, the concept behind Protect Al Our Province, Alberta. And then we'll get um, into some good news from today. There's been a couple of really good uh, announcements that we want to celebrate. And we'll get into the numbers. And then I want to open up. There may be some uh, people in the group that also want to, uh, to, to make some comments. 
Um, I think it's important to recognize that this isn't our entire group here. These are some of the people that were available today. Some of our group is working today. Some of our group are on holidays. And we hope to have a, a wide breadth of the um, physician, scientist, and citizen landscape come across your screens over the next, uh, well, hopefully few weeks and not few months as we as we manage this uh, fourth um, Delta wave. To protect our province, Alberta um, came into existence in late July when our government stated that they were no longer doing test tracing and isolating. Um, and uh, there was quite an outcry. We really wanted to um, develop a plan in order to to draw attention to uh, how, how horrendous this move would be. And so in a series of uh, live demonstrations in multiple cities around the province, um, a lot of the people that you see before you um, were at those events and basically said, uh, not, not in my province. And we were uh, rewarded with the reversal of that a couple of weeks ago. Um, now, since then, um, we've learned that the, the contact tracing is no longer taking place. So people are able to test, they are being notified of their positive results, but there is no contact tracing that's uh, that's occurring. Um, and so that's something I wanna highlight that we have to deal with. Um, so uh, the other thing that's happened is, is we've had this ongoing exponential growth of the fourth wave. And so although we can continue to see the numbers, uh, which was the important reversal that we had a couple of weeks ago, we 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 still have ongoing growth and, and that won't change until we have strong basic mitigation measures put in place. Um, as far as my background goes, I'm an emergency physician in Calgary, Alberta. I'm the co-founder of Mass for Canada, um, which is a national advocacy group. We were initially uh, started because um, of some resistance amongst uh, uh, policymakers to institute uh, mask regulations. And so that, that was our uh, initial uh, um, start. And we've been ongoing in, in many different um, facets of COVID policy, including uh, rapid testing, airborne transmission, um, ventilation strategies for schools. And, and uh, I strongly recommend that you check out the work that Mass for Canada is doing. It's amazing stuff. Um, so uh, the two things we really need to, to celebrate uh, today is uh, just recently, about 45 minutes ago, uh, we heard from Alberta Health that they're going to start doing third um, boost, booster doses for those people are, that are the most susceptible. I don't have the news release in front of me, but I'm sure you can look it up and, and find out some of that information. But it, it is worth uh, acknowledging that we are having um, issues with waning uh, coverage by vaccines um, and that the Delta is, is a beast. And so it needs uh, really strong coverage for those people that are most susceptible. So that is a, a, a great uh, step. Um, we probably, well, I think we need to acknowledge that there are also some equity issues here because in instituting these third doses, we will not be able to be providing these doses to um, some of the developing countries around the world that are still trying to get their first doses in arms. And um, there, there are no easy solutions to some of these complex problems, unfortunately. The other big celebratory thing we need to do is um, acknowledge that the city of Edmonton has reinstituted a mask mandate. Uh, this happened a couple hours ago. Uh, great for them for being strong. Uh, as far as I know, they're the first municipality in Alberta to reinstitute uh, indoor mask mandate and it starts on Friday. So thank you, thank you, thank you for stepping up. And I'm hoping to see similar bravery from our councils around the province. Um, 
Anybody want to comment on that from our panel before we go into the numbers today? I think, uh, Joe, I'd like to comment just on the boosters. I think that uh, it is a great news that we are going to see that our immunocompromised and long-term care um, patients are going to have access to this booster sooner than later. I think we're all very trepidatious about what the fall is going to bring with resurgence of other respiratory viruses as well. And so having a little bit of extra protection from Delta um, is, a, is, is one step towards helping our hospital capacity, which we know is quite severely crippled at the moment. Thanks for that, uh, Dr. Bakshi. Um, so today's numbers, well, today's numbers are, are unsurprisingly um, very similar in growth to what we've seen in the past. If anything, things are getting worse rather than better. And that's not uh, too surprising, especially when it comes to hospitalizations and ICUs, which are lagging indicators. Um, some of you may know do these this analysis uh, on Twitter daily when the numbers are out. And so I'm basically gonna use the same format. Unfortunately, I don't have graphs for you due to some technical difficulties I was having today, uh, but I can read you out the numbers. So cases per day, uh, Friday was 1235. That's a 52.3% increase over last Friday's 811. And I always compare one week to the previous week because we know that there's um, variation day to day uh, through the week, uh, you know, Mondays and Sundays being our lowest days. Um, Saturday, 963 cases versus 694. The previous Saturday, that's a 38.7% increase. And Sunday was at 868 uh, percent, um, 680, sorry, 868 uh, over 470 the previous week, a 45.9% increase. Um, the seven-day average is now a, over 1,000. Now, for the first time in the in the fourth wave, in the Delta wave, uh, 1,010, that's up 53% from 660. This is a seven-day doubling time of 13 days, and that's actually accelerated from Friday's numbers, which when it, when it was 14 days. So uh, we've dropped a day there. That's concerning. The test positivity consent continues to climb. Uh, Friday, 10.95% versus 9.39% the previous week. Saturday, 10.16 versus 8.31, um, and Sunday, 10.41 versus 8.78. It's pretty much been consistently 2% higher day to day uh, over through the, through the last few weeks. Um, and why percent positivity matters is because it indicates how many missing cases are out there. So if you're percent positivity is five or below, you know you're capturing a good percentage of the community spread. Um, net, because it is so high, we know we're missing that. Delta continues to dominate 86.9% uh, of last Monday's cases and 88.9% of last Tuesday's cases. I, I go quite far back in the record to, to look at those percent positivities because those um, the percent of Delta, because those tend to climb uh, as new cases are added through the week. So most recent data being uh, Tuesday at 88.9%. And the other variants of uh, concern have disappeared. And the most concerning uh, data uh, is hospitalizations in ICU. Uh, Thursday, we had plus 15 to 272. That was revised from five Friday's numbers, which were at two, 262. Um, Friday, we had plus 10 to 282. Saturday plus 16 to 298. Um, 
and Sunday plus five to 303. And I, I fully expect Friday's numbers to be revised. So if we go Saturday to Saturday, that's a 50.5% increase in our hospitalizations. Um, and ICU, again, incredibly concerning numbers, Friday plus 12 to 85, Saturday plus two to 87, and Sunday plus 12 um, to 98. And um, last Sunday, the number was 54. So we've had an 81.4% increase in our ICU rates in the last week. And if you want to see pretty pictures, I'll be posting those on Twitter later today. Um, the last thing to mention is deaths. Over the weekend, we had seven deaths. Uh, and um, so I just had Aaron Toombs that up here. I'm just going to go back to that. Um, uh, two in the Edmonton, three in the Edmonton zone, two in the north zone, uh, one in the south zone, one in the central zone. Um, and uh, all of them were uh, above 50. Four of them are 80 plus two in the 70 to 79 age range, uh, and one in the 50 to 59 age range. And I'll be posting that data on Twitter later. So I hope that gives a little bit of the context to the numbers. I know that takes a little bit of time to go through, but I think all of that data is important um, to contextualize how much trouble we're in. Again, I'll turn to the panel to see if there's anybody that has any uh, thing to comment on there. Chuck, did you want to talk about ER right now? Chuck Worcester, are you uh, still in the studio? Chuck is no longer in the studio at the moment, but I do have a question from the audience. Sure. Um, is there somewhere or someone that can comment on how many children have been hospitalized in Alberta due to COVID? The best place that I've seen that is, and it's not ideal, is on Aaron Toombs' severe outcomes page. And you can see one of his graphs shows the ages, but because of the nature of his data, um, it's really hard to parse out exactly how many uh, pediatric ones. They certainly are the smallest cohort of all the cohorts. Um, Zaid, are you still? With us, do you, do you have any data on that? The three of you are our panelists for the remainder of our time together. I'll ask everybody. Wow. Okay. Well, there you go. Um, and uh, the other person who really has good data on this is um, I can bring up his Twitter feed. His his he goes by the term Merlin on Twitter, and he does a really good pediatric breakdown analysis. Um, I'll just pull up his uh, his Twitter name so people can look that up. Uh, he goes by Merlin of Canada. And um, yeah, I would highly recommend taking a look at uh, some of the stuff that he posts. Anybody have anything to add among the panelists there? Yes, I, I would just add. Um, you know, when we look at these the rates of climbing hospitalizations, climbing ICU admissions, I just really want to strain that, you know, we really don't have very far to go before the system is completely overloaded, uh, not just in terms of um, 
because of the number of cases, but also the amount of burnout uh, among uh, the operators, the, the physicians, the nurses, the respiratory therapists. Uh, I've never seen my uh, colleagues in the ICU more despondent than over the last week with, with ICU cases coming in, um, particularly because this wave is entirely preventable. We know that we have the public health tools and we have vaccination. And so uh, it is very frustrating to see cases climb, uh, but we know that this is going to continue to occur in the absence of any government leadership. So that's where we are right now. Yeah, I would, I would echo um, what Dr. Schwartz has said, that um, when we talk about capacity, there's always physical bed space, which I think is what's uh, usually uh, kind of highlighted uh, in the news media. But we have to remember human resources, and human resources are something that we don't have the luxury of that we had in the first, even second wave. Um, since the third wave, we've seen shortages of not only physicians, but certainly our nursing colleagues, our respiratory therapists, uh, support staff that we need to be able to um, take care of our patients. And that goes throughout the entire hospital system. That's not just ICU, but that's regular wards, the emergency rooms. And so when we have um, human resource shortages, we're constantly just trying to plug holes and find areas to be able to operate at a bare minimum. And when you have system capacity issues, when you've got overload of COVID numbers plus all-cause admissions, uh, we're really looking at um, uh, a big problem very shortly in the next couple of weeks. Uh, if I could just add one thing uh, to what Dr. Bachi has said, is that I think that uh, you know, having just come off the infectious disease service in the hospital, um, I don't know if others um, have noticed the same thing, but patients with uh, and without COVID are incredibly sick, more so than I, I remember seeing recently. I think with the first several waves of the pandemic, people who had chronic uh, diseases, people who needed to seek medical care were really holding off as long as possible. And as a consequence, when they finally do hit the doors of the emergency room, they're just incredibly sick. So uh, in addition to all of the COVID patients, everybody is already stretched out um, as a, a secondary consequence of this. And so, um, you know, every additional patient that's admitted to the ICU is just, you know, it's, it's just a, a heartbreaking personal story, you know, and, and family that's devastated. And, uh, you know, there's a team of doctors behind there that are, uh, and, all sorts of healthcare workers that are really doing their best, but we really are, um, you know, we're 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 running on on fumes at this point. I would uh, I would mirror the same thing from the emergency department. We're constantly stressed, constantly understaffed, uh, and seeing the vast majority of our patients being much sicker than they were in any of the first three waves. Um, and I'm quite concerned that our staff will. You know, they're already burnt out. And if we have a lot more COVID patients coming through our emergency departments, especially where I work, it's just going to continue to be uh, burnout on top of burnout and short staffing on top of short staffing. If I can opine a bit on some of the causes of this situation, um, it seems that our policymakers have put all their eggs in the vaccination baskets. It was basically we we have enough vaccine uh, va vaccinated population that we no longer need to do any of the other mitigation measures. And uh, most of the smart uh, uh, scientists on COVID that I that I follow would suggest that because Delta is so infectious, that it is impossible to vaccinate our way out of this pandemic, that we really do need those other simple mitigation measures. And the ones I would point out would be mask mandates. Thank you, Edmonton. Um, 
uh, restriction of, of mass gatherings like weddings and funerals uh, through this wave. Um, we, we need to consider closing indoor dining temporarily, indoor drinking temporarily, uh, really encourage outdoor socializing, um, and of course, continue to encourage vaccination amongst our population. Um, our ICU, uh, the, the number of people in the ICU that have been fully vaccinated is very small. It's very protective. We are seeing climbing numbers of double vaccinated people in the hospital, though, and I think that really... Um, reinforces the fact that just because you're double vaccinated doesn't mean it's um, it's possible to just let down your guard and uh, pretend things are normal. Uh, they aren't. Um, Michelle, do we have any questions from the media before we go to maybe some questions from the public? Yes, we have Tyson from CTV Calgary. Tyson, I am going to be adding you into the stream. Sounds good. Thanks, uh, Tyson from CTV here. Uh, I guess anyone can answer this. Just kind of want to touch on the uh, third dose announcement uh, released by the province today. Of course, uh, we didn't hear from Dr. Hinshaw or Health Minister Tyler Shandro. They did release statements. It's about 118,000 individuals will be able and eligible for this third dose uh, as of Wednesday. Um, is this the right step moving forward? You know, as you mentioned, Joe, earlier that uh, many developing countries don't even have their first doses yet. Um, are we kind of at a, at a point now where if you've already been vaccinated, um, you are vaccinated and those who aren't getting vaccinated uh, still just at this point don't want to. So is this third dose uh, the right step moving forward uh, since we are maybe at that stalemate right now? Maybe Dr. Schwartz is our ID specialist we best serve to answer that. Sorry. So, you know, one of the challenges is that we have compelling data that uh, certain patients, those that are, are um, kind of in the extremes of, of uh, the upper extremes of age uh, and immune compromised patients, you know, particularly those with organ transplantation, hematologic malignancy, uh, for example, we know that they don't mount proper immune responses in, um, after the vaccine. Um, this primarily is measured in a lab by measuring the amount of antibodies. And we don't have a great correlation for how that translates into people being vulnerable to infection. So um, we know that um, when you give them a third dose, it does increase their uh, the immunogenicity and the number of, of individuals that have antibodies. And we think, particularly for this vulnerable group of patients, that that's a good thing. Um, but you know, as was mentioned, there are concerns about vaccine inequity um, around the world, and that's something to consider. And this becomes a slippery slope. As uh, an infectious disease doctor who specializes in transplant patients, you know, I really do support this move. I think it's really important. Um, for a very select subgroup of patients, but I think that it does become a slippery slope if this eventually becomes uh, a standard of care for for, um, for routine. But you know, as with everything in this pandemic, we're always learning, we're always getting new knowledge, and so um, you know, over the next few months, we're going to have some more information about whether these really are required in order to prevent hospitalizations and and severe uh, outcomes. I'll just add on to um, what Dr. Schwartz was saying. I think 
when we talk about vaccine inequity, we also have to look at what's happening in our own province. And I think, you know, it's unfortunate that we didn't get a formal announcement um, that we could have asked uh, our Minister Chandra these questions. Um, but I think it's important to address, are we doing everything that we can possibly do to improve the inequity in this province for those who have not had access to their first or second dose? Um, everything is quite uh, online and, and and accessible only through making appointments online. And I think that's part of the problem. There's lots of neighborhoods around the province who haven't had equal opportunity. So I think that's a really important question that we need to push back to Minister Shandro and his team. Dr. Well, I, Schwartz, do you want to comment on, um, on Israel's experience with third vaccines? They were the leaders on this. Do we have any information out of Israel as to how, how it's rolling out? Uh, so, so they've been very, um, very bullish in terms of um, assuming that these, you know, decreased antibodies uh, over time do indicate vulnerability. And so they have made it standard of care for everybody to be vaccinated with a third dose. They now uh, require a third dose to be considered fully vaccinated. We don't know yet what that's going to translate in terms of uh, not just the reduced case counts, because um, as we've heard before, you know, case counts are not necessarily the most important metric, but in terms of severe outcomes, things like hospitalizations, uh, deaths, you know, some things that are harder to measure, like long COVID, for example. Um, I don't have the data on how that's going. I think that we will only know uh, over the next few months. I would like to comment about the vaccine inequity um, issue from an emergency point of view. I think there's a lot of people that I see on every shift who could have gotten their first or second doses and haven't because of the system that we have for offering vaccines is very centralized and people have to seek out vaccines and go themselves and book online. As was mentioned, it was very electronic orientated. And I think that our vaccination program is nowhere near what it could have been or could be in terms of getting people vaccinated properly. I think we need to work on getting first and second doses. The third dose is, is good for a lot of people, especially the immunocompromised, but there are lots and lots of people in our province that we need to be bringing the vaccine to and having not just two vaccine buses, but probably an entire fleet of vaccine buses and maybe a bunch of vaccinators on bicycles riding around cities and in um, certain neighborhoods and vaccinating people. And we need to work a lot better on combating uh, vaccine hesitancy and misinformation. I don't think we've done anywhere near as good of a job we could have in terms of trying to assure people that vaccines are safe, effective, and keep them from getting sick and keep their families from getting sick. The job that we've done with that is nowhere near where it could be. Tyson, do you have a follow-up? Yeah, just a quick one, uh, kind of touching on that vaccine hesitancy and, and kind of the, the skeptics still out there. Um, they've been told since the beginning that two doses means fully vac vaccinated, but now with a third dose uh, incoming, we could potentially see this open up to the general population in the weeks and months to possibly follow. Uh, so what entices individuals who still have not been vaccinated at least once to go out and get vaccinated when now we're hearing we might need a third dose, uh, especially since they are rolling those out uh, this week. So, you know, as, as with many things in, in medicine and in life, there's the law of diminishing returns. So um, the first vaccine dose is, is by far the most important 
the second is important to um, to also prevent severe outcomes uh, in a smaller subgroup. And then the third dose is kind of icing on the cake. Uh, but, you know, the, the main message still needs to be go out, you know, get your vaccines, um, you know, ideally get, get two of them. Um, and, you know, there's also a difference between a, a third dose as part of a, a standard regimen, for example, for immune compromised patients and a booster dose, which we're going to be seeing invariably down the road, uh, similar as we see with um, seasonal influenza. And I think as we start to see the domination of Delta, uh, we know that uh, both Pfizer and Moderna have, um, it's pretty easy to tweak their mRNA to be more specific to those variants. And so we should be seeing more Delta specific variants coming down the pipe. And I'm hoping that my third dose is a, is a Delta specific dose, maybe Delta and Lambda. Does anyone else on the panel have any comments that they would like to share for Tyson's question? Uh, I would, uh, you know, why get vaccinated? Because it's the right thing to do. You know, that's, it's important to protect yourself, but even more important in a pandemic, the only way we're going to fight this is we work together. And we need to do that as a community and communities protect each other. And getting vaccinated, one, two, three, four, ten doses, whatever it takes, that's what we should do to protect each other. Thank you very much. We will now move over to Duncan Kenny with Progress Report. Hello, yeah, Duncan Kenny from Progress Report. Thanks for having me. Um, I guess my question is like, with all of the damage we've seen to the healthcare system with the deaths and the spikes in cases that we've seen from this fourth wave, was this avoidable? And what should a government have done to avoid what we've seen here in the fourth wave? If I can start, maybe I'll just mention that um, I've been a long-term advocate for COVID zero. Um, we know it's worked. Uh, we know it's worked well in in uh, provinces such as Nova Scotia, Newfoundland, um, used to be New Brunswick, but they're no longer pursuing that, and and PEI, and and in the north. Um, and let's be honest, we were like this close to being COVID zero in July, um, prior to the opening of of. Uh, uh, the stampede, you know, if we had just pushed it a little bit farther um, and put in some good uh, uh, immigration uh, immigration controls, like just control of people coming into the province uh, with vaccines and um, and testing, we could have achieved COVID zero. Um, so I think it's really important to recognize that uh, this um, I call it the third wave, the um, the preventable and predictable wave. I've kind of called this one the intentionally cruel wave, because it seems whether it's intended or not, the result of the policies put in place has been to try and infect as many people as possible, uh, as fast as possible. Uh, uh, the, and that's specifically the unvaccinated, including the 667,000 kids under the age of 12. Um, by having no mitigation measures and encouraging no mitigation measures by even restricting municipalities from from or or trying maybe not restricting is the right word but uh, encouraging municipalities not to adopt these mask mandates uh, and then we heard from um, now you know UCP politician on on Friday saying that is indeed what what uh, the the objective is so um, I think it's very clear that this is. Um, a horrible situation for our province to be in and, and definitely could have been prevented. 
but now we need to act, right? So we're in the situation. Best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. Next best time is today. I think I'd, I'd echo what uh, Dr. Vipond is saying in that um, we were so close to having, uh, I guess, quote unquote, a normal fall or a better fall than we're going to see now. And I think, you know, I probably speak for every Albertan that everybody's tired of this. I know everybody on this panel, we're all tired of this. But in order to, um, to have a safe reopening or safe opening and, and safe kind of resumption to society, um, going from, from some health restrictions and some measures to absolutely nothing was... Uh, too drastic. And it, it has now resulted in what we're seeing now. And I don't think any of us um, is surprised at what we're seeing. We're certainly saddened and um, quite uh, upset about what we're going to see in the next couple of months. And I agree that I think we're going to see probably a far worse wave than we've seen uh, this entire time that we've been dealing with the pandemic. Um, and I think simple mitigation strategies right now are important, like the mask mandate, social distancing, uh, universal masking in schools. I think those are all things that we can do and we should be doing to try to nip this in the bud. Any other questions there, Duncan? Nope. Thank you. Michelle, how are we doing for questions in the queue? I know we're about 40 minutes in. We don't want to keep people too long. I was just going to ask you guys for some closing remarks before we said goodbye for today. Um, Chuck, why don't, uh, Dr. Worcester, why don't you go first? All right. Uh, thanks, Joe. I just wanted to say thanks for having me. I'm honored to be a part of such an amazing group. I'm really in awe of the expertise and the compassion and the caring of everyone on this group. Um, my parting words were, it would echo everything that's been said. You know, we need to mask, we need to vaccinate, and we need to work together as Albertans to make sure that our province is safe. Dr. Schwartz? Yeah, I just want to thank uh, everybody that is doing the right thing in spite of, you know, the uh, the absence of leadership from this province. Um, the fact that you have uh, a premier who, you know, before he went into hiding was saying that the, the pandemic is over. Um, it's, it's really heartening that people are going out and getting vaccinated. People are wearing a mask even when it's not mandated. So I want to thank everybody who, who has been taking those steps in order to protect not just themselves, but their fellow Albertan. Dr. Bakshi? Yeah, I'd like to thank, um, as a sports, I'd like to thank the vast majority of Albertans who are uh, continuing to mask, continuing to socially distance when when able um, to make sure that we are being safe as possible. Um, and I, I really want to thank all the healthcare workers in Alberta who are continuously fighting this battle and who are continuously uh, dealing with capacity shortages, with staffing shortages, with uh, the high volume of patients that we see and as healthcare workers we will continue to show up for what we believe in and that is to take care of patients and um, I just want to thank everybody that's doing their part in this. I think my final comments are what do you guys think like you the public uh, you the media is this useful um, is this something that we could get make better do you want less numbers more talk do you want uh the ability to put more questions out there. Um, you know, this is a, a long road. And so we don't want to uh, overwhelm people with, uh, you know, a, an overly long event, but we're going to aim for around 45 minutes, um, this kind of format. Uh, and, um, 
and we would just really like to have feedback. And if you are a leader, if you're um, uh, a scientist or a, a a, uh, a physician or even a citizen who who really wants to get the the word out there feel free to join our group we're we're a pretty pretty welcoming uh, organization and um uh we'd love to have your voice uh, added to our our growing numbers and dr vipon just wanted to quickly mention as well uh tomorrow is international overdose awareness day and i think it's really important to acknowledge that um you know we've seen a, a spike in in overdoses and substance use disorder um within the communities in alberta as well as in the hospitals and i think it's really critical that we acknowledge that that we uh, honor and acknowledge all of the folks that are working behind the scenes to help uh, our patients and community members who are dealing with overdose and and substance use disorders so i just wanted to make sure we acknowledge that as well and on that note, I would like to add that tomorrow we will not be holding a briefing um, and that if you would like to learn more about events in your area for Overdose Awareness Day, you could visit www.overdoseday.com backslash Edmonton or overdoseday.com backslash Calgary and that every single Albertan can make a difference and please consider picking up a free naloxone kit, the antidote for opioid overdose. So we'll be back on Wednesday. Uh, we're gonna be focusing on back to school on Wednesday. And then on Friday, we'll be back again and we'll be talking about uh, aerosol transmission of COVID and um, trying to highlight some of whatever news there is. And uh, yeah. Uh, looking forward to, to continuing to provide this service to Albertans. Thank you so very much to all of our panelists today and the rotating numbers in between four and 7,000 folks who were able to join us. We truly appreciate it. We'll be returning Wednesday with another update. Thank you and stay safe.